We are continuing in our sermon series, Truth in Love. This idea that the heart of God, according to Ephesians chapter 4, is that we would grow up, that we would mature as the followers of Jesus. And part of that maturity is that we enter into difficult conversations, even divisive conversations, speaking the truth in love. That we're not loving by avoiding truth, and we're not truthful at the expense of love. As a matter of fact, you can't have one without the other, because at the end of the day, it's all about Jesus. And He is both truth and love. And so we've been walking through an odd series for us for Sunday mornings here at Temple where we've been addressing some of these difficult topics where we see a whole lot of noise in our culture but not a lot of truth in love. And so we've been dealing with issues like religious freedom and and with where does life begin. We believe that's in the womb. And contending for life means when life is taken. We've talked about uh, topics like capital punishment and the right to defend ourselves. And today we want to talk about another topic that, that might seem far from home or might seem like it doesn't connect with us or touch us, but it's a, a topic that I believe the people of God in this church family need to have the lenses of truth in love, and it's the topic of immigration. We live in an unprecedented time surrounding this topic. It's estimated that there are over 71 million refugees around the globe today. 71 million people who've been displaced, who've lost their homes. This refugee crisis that we are in today is affecting 71 million people. And and here's the thing. I can't even wrap my head around a number that big. That's ten times the population of the Metroplex. Men and women and children, people who have dreams for their kids, people who are familiar with their community, who have a way of life that they thought would always be, who've had to flee from normal because of the threat of their lives. Never before have there been so many people displaced, in danger, or forced from their homes, and we've not even seen close to this percentage of the population affected since World War II. And to put that into daily numbers to help try to make a little more sense, It's estimated that every day 37,000 people are forced from their homes. 37,000 regular people are forced from their homes on a daily basis because of conflict or persecution. And just in the snapshot we've seen in recent history in Syria, where The population a few years ago was 22 million, and the population is believed that that half of those 22 million were affected by the violence in that region. Where many are missing, many are presumed to have been killed, many are just fleeing, and at least 4 million of them had to leave the country with their families because of the threat of their lives, because of religious persecution. And this isn't just a global conversation that affects us because we live in 2019 on planet Earth. This affects us right here in our community. The Metroplex is considered the number one metropolitan area for refugees. The number one metropolitan area for for refugees right here, our community. And, And it's considered that because we have such a strong economy. 
because we have availability of affordable housing. But the biggest reason that the Metroplex is the number one community for refugees is because of faith-based nonprofits in this area that are caring for them. It's the body of Christ acting like the hands and feet of Jesus for those who are most vulnerable. It's really a beautiful thing. It's a thing that, that would not be true about this city if it weren't for those who don't just say they love the Lord, but demonstrate that with those who are most vulnerable. In the past five years, we have received more refugees than any other state. And in the last two decades, more than 100,000 refugees have been given a home right here in Texas. 100,000 people who've been given safety and hope of a future right here in Texas. But that's not just true of the last two decades. That's been true of Texas in recent history. In the 70s, that was true of the Vietnamese and Cambodian refugees. In the 80s, that was true of those in the former Soviet Union. In the 90s, that was true of many Bosnian refugees. Today, the Metroplex is home for thousands of Iranians, Iraqis, Burmese, Congolese, Afghans, Bhutanese, Moroccans, and Syrians fleeing for their lives from religious persecution or fleeing a threat because of their ethnic identity or because they've worked with the American military. This is a a topic that we might think doesn't involve us. But it does. It, It involves us. Not just as Americans and not just as Texans and not just because we live in the Metroplex. I believe it involves us as the people of God. The Pew Research Center researched among those who said they have an opinion about immigration. Only 7% said that their religious views were the most determining issue about their views of immigration. Only 7%. Only 7% said, the way I see my faith affects the way I approach the issue or the topic of refugees, of immigration. And I'll be honest with you, that's a heartbreaking reality to me. What that means is we've got a lot of people who say they believe the Bible, they just don't think it has anything to do with the way we view life. Listen, I I believe that the Scriptures are the lenses through, through which we approach our marriages and raising our kids and the way we approach politics and the way we approach difficult cultural conversations like immigration. There's not a category of my life that I believe this book doesn't speak to, which includes this issue, the issue of immigrants, and that's why I encourage you please to grab your Bible today. If you don't have a Bible, there's one underneath the seat in front of you. And if you don't own a Bible, please keep that. Let that be our gift to you today. And we invite you to join with us in our tradition. Every week we hold up our Bibles and say a creed together about what we believe this book to be. And so we invite you to hold up your Bible and let's say this together this morning. The Bible is the Word of God. The truth of the Bible will change my life. Lord, open my heart and awaken my mind and give me grace to respond. Change me for your glory In my joy, amen. Thank you so much. Please turn to Micah chapter 6. Minor prophet Micah chapter 6. If you're not sure where that is, that's a book you've not been to very much. If you find like Isaiah and Jeremiah, hang a right at that block. 
Go past the, the Daniel block, and then you'll get into the neighborhood of the minor prophets. Joel and Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, okay? If you're using one of those Bibles from the seat in front of you, it's page 731. Micah chapter 6. And before we get to Micah chapter, chapter 6, we're going to begin this morning the same way we've begun the last couple weeks, the same way we'll begin again next week, spoiler alert, and that is we want to begin with the beginning of the story. We've used this analogy the last couple of weeks that I think is really fitting, and that is if I start watching the episode of my favorite show that I have not seen this episode before, and I pick it up in the middle of the episode and I'm missing the storyline, I need to go back to the beginning to catch the plot. And in the same way, these issues we don't just address through the lenses of 2019. We go back to the genesis of humanity, to the beginning of this whole thing, and then our understanding is shaped for us to walk then into this conversation. And we look in Genesis chapter 1, where again and again, we read the words, Then the Lord said. But this time something changes about what the Lord said. He said, Then, then the Lord said, Let us make man in our image. And up until verse 26 of Genesis 1, everything that God had said that came into existence reflected His glory. We read that in the Psalms, that that the heavens tell the glory of God and the, the skies above show His handiwork. This is reflecting the, the majesty of God and the, the glory of God. But something new was coming in verse 26 of Genesis 1. There's something that wouldn't just bear His glory. It would bear His very image. That He's going to make man, in, and He says, let us make man in our image. The triune God through the work of the Father and the Son and the Spirit is going to put his image on something. And, and that image means we have special value. And that image means we have dominion. We have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the heavens, the livestock, and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. That's such a funny word. Don't be a creeper. All right, so then we summarize that in verse 7. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. He created them again and again, this clarity that something changed in verses 26 and 27. That God isn't just speaking something into existence, that he's placing his image on it, which we find out in chapter 2, he's using his hands to form man of the dust of the ground. He's using his breath to breathe into his nostrils the breath of life, that he's not just speaking his image over us. He's placing his image on us. And what's happened ever since Genesis chapter 1 is he's continued to multiply his image among every people, among every generation. And so that's the, the beginning of the episode. So the plot makes sense. Is that every human being who's ever lived and ever will live bears the image of a holy God. But to what end? So we're going to do something now that I don't recommend when you're watching your favorite episode. <laughs> we're going to get to the beginning of the plot, but then we're going to fast forward to the end of the story to understand where everything is, has been, every bit of momentum that has existed in history has been moving towards a moment that's, that's revealed in the book of Revelation, where God's revealing the future to John the Revelator. In John chapter 7, what's revealed before him, he says, I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number. And I know some people who are really good at numbers. <laughs> but there's not a computer in the world that can do this math. There's not a mind in the world that conceive of this math. If we can see this magnitude, this, this sea of humanity, 
this multitude that no one could number from every nation. And we don't just think that means every nation that will exist then on this great day. We don't just think that means every nation that has existed in the past. We believe that means every nation that ever has existed, ever will exist, or that exists today from that God is going to make himself a people. And there's coming a great day where every single person that has placed their faith in the God whose image they bear will stand together from every nation. From every tribe within those nations, from every peoples among those tribes, and then from every languages among those peoples. And together we will stand before the throne of the one whose image we bear and before the Lamb. That's what all of this is moving towards. And on that great day we'll stand among, all the followers of God will stand among this sea of humankind from every nation clothed in white robes. We, we say this constantly here. We encourage every person who is physically able to go with us on a mission trip. Not who's financially able. God will take care of that. If you're physically able, we encourage you to come. And there's a lot of reasons for that. This morning, I'll just share one of them. You might see some funny stuff. And what you'll find is a lot of places you travel in the world, they don't dress the same as us. Sometimes they try. I love going to Kosovo. You know, we, we liberated Kosovo, our, our military, as in our partnership with the UN, liberated Kosovo back in the 90s, and they dress like 1990s Americans. It's great. They wear 90s-looking Chicago Bulls stuff. It's like, oh, they're not any good anymore. I don't know how to tell you this. They wear New York Yankees gear. They've never been good. No. Um, they look like America, a snapshot, 30 years ago. The fact is, though, there's coming a day where the way a nation dresses or a culture dresses will no longer be our distinctive. We will together be robed in the righteousness of Christ. (laughs) How great is that? That's a wardrobe change, man. With palm branches in their hands, we won't take time for that significance because I'm more concerned about what's not in their hands but on their tongues. And it says that this sea of humanity, as John sees it, said they were, they were crying out with a loud voice. So you can imagine how loud that was, this multitude that no one can number. That's a loud cry. And they're saying salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And, and if I can interject a little something, salvation belongs to the God whose image we bear who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb. This is what every event that's happened in human history has been pointed towards and moving towards. And if we do not have these, the beginning and the ending of the story in mind, we cannot possibly approach the topic of immigration with a full understanding. The fact is those who are outside this border are not our enemies. We long for them to be our brothers and our sisters. Those who are our enemies, we are grieved that we must protect ourselves from them. This isn't about arrogant defiance. This is actually not a conversation about politics. This is not a conversation about borders. This is not a conversation about ultimately security or jobs or making more money. This is a conversation about people. About men and women and children who bear the image of God. Now, to be clear, just because someone bears the image of God 
does not mean that God condones them breaking the law. We serve a God who, who has authorized government to enforce law for the good of a people. Which means this conversation has some tension in it. I love a quote by Dr. Mark Bailey. Mark Bailey is the president of Dallas Theological Seminary. Uh, he's also the father of Coach Jeremy Bailey, our, our head football coach. Um, you might not know, he's a respected theologian in our culture today, but Dr. Mark Bailey said this. He said, we live within the real tensions, I love this, of compliance and compassion. Of obeying the law and loving people. Of maintaining security and ministering with sympathy. I think that's such a beautiful picture of, of the tension in this conversation. Compliance and compassion. Security and sympathy. And the reason that this tension exists, hear me church, is because there's not a really easy solution to the, the conversation around immigration. We're hearing simple solutions from people who are trying to get elected. But there's not a simple solution in this conversation. There's tension here. Don't let anybody in. Let everybody in. What? That's un-American. That's mentally handicapped. Like, please, can we come to the middle and have a rational conversation about the fact that this is a complicated issue? When I, and I said this last week, we love the extremes. Because if I run to the extreme, I don't actually have to think through it. If I run to the extreme, I don't have to humanize. But if I truly see the people who live here as made in the image of God, therefore they need to be protected. And the people who don't live here as made in the image of God, and therefore we need to have a healthy system that has dignity with it and promotes safety of a people, then what we understand is it's not quite as clear as we began. I love what one pastor said. He said, we read in the scriptures that welcome is written to the sojourner and the exile. That's the immigrant. He said, but there's also walls in the Bible. So which is it? Is it welcome or is it walls? The fact is, even as a follower of Jesus, it's not as though there's a really clear just take this position. Because it's, it's more honest than that. This conversation is more complicated than that. Which is why we come to our text this morning, Micah chapter 6. Verse number 8. He has told you, O man, what is good. And I believe that, that the implication of good here is not limited. It's not just good for our homes. It's not just good for our marriages. I believe it's good for our economy. It's good for our culture. It's good for society. This is what's good. And what is required of the, what does the Lord require of you? And see these three things that are good, that are required of the Lord to do justice and to love kindness. And to walk humbly with your God. Maybe you heard this verse when you were growing up uh, as, as, um, as loving mercy. I think kindness is a great translation of the Hebrew word here. Really, it's, it's loving kindness. It's a depth of compassion that, that does indeed display mercy because it comes from a heart of loving kindness. And in our human understanding, we often think that justice is at odds with loving kindness. Or justice is at odds with mercy. We'll talk more about that next week as we discuss racial reconciliation. 
the fact is we serve a God who holds both of those, justice and kindness. And to understand how do we navigate for this morning's conversation, immigration with justice for lawbreakers and kindness for the vulnerable and for those who already live here. How do we hold those together? And I think the answer is we begin where the prophet ends by walking in some humility before our God. And most of the conversations I hear about the topic of immigration are the exact opposite of humble in their tone. Most of the conversations I hear about immigration are with a tremendous amount of bravado and arrogance. Because a lot of the conversations I'm hearing about immigration aren't actually for the good of people. They're to get the speaker elected. But the fact is, if we walk in some humility around this topic, then as the people of God, we can be the people who hold together justice and kindness. Asking questions like, whose justice are we seeking? Are we ignoring the justice of some for the justice of others? Or are we genuinely valuing all humankind as made in the image of God? And I will say this, I I do actually believe we need to have difficult conversations about immigration. Because our current laws clearly are not being enforced appropriately. The, The current system is not working effectively. I will say, I think they're working better than most places in the world. It seems like it's working worse here because more people want to come here. So another list of, re- of the reasons why we encourage you to come on a mission trip is one of the things you'll find is we have it really good here. I don't know if you know this. This is a really preferable place to live. <laughs> Pretty much everywhere else I visit, I go, oh, yeah, it's better back home. Right? Most of us in this room have the financial means that we could move somewhere else. You know why we haven't? Because we know better. <laughs> it's good here. Of course people want to come here. Of course they want to make a way of life here. And I think we need to have conversations about stricter immigration laws. Times have changed. The world has changed. We need to readdress this. I think we need to talk about having secure borders. I think we need to talk about either stiffer stiffer penalties for those who break the law or actually enforcing the laws that we currently have for those who break the law. But the truth in love is that many engaging in this conversation, I feel are really just talking about legislation to mask bigotry. I I think in the heart, if we don't humble ourselves before God, the heart of many when it comes to immigration are talking about those people. The people who don't look like us. The people who don't live the same way we live. The people whose language might be different than ours. The people whose culture and way of life might be different than ours. Many times, people who claim to be Christ followers, who attend church on Sunday, use names for immigrants that are derogatory, offensive, disrespectful, and do not communicate the image of God. And so we begin with humility as the people of God saying, God, reveal in us. Are we using language about undocumented immigrants 
as a cover to just insult those who we don't understand or who look different than us. America is a great place to live. But it's such a great place to live, sometimes we think we can do no wrong. Sometimes we think everybody else is the problem. Sometimes our American pride isn't pride in our nation, it's just blind arrogance. For instance, what if the problem with immigration isn't the people outside the border, it's us? What if we've not enforced our own laws and that's on us? What if we've hired undocumented workers so that we can save a couple bucks and make a couple more bucks? What if we'd rather not pay benefits and so we're giving jobs to people because we're motivated more by greed than by what's right? What if, what if word got out, if you go to America illegally, nobody's going to hire you and they will not allow you to get on their welfare system? I wonder how it would change. That sounds awfully simple to me. But we don't want to look in the mirror. We want to blame the rest of the world for our crisis, which is human nature. And as the people of God, I believe in humility, we should lead the way to say, this isn't a new problem. So I mentioned earlier that we're in this unprecedented time with immigration, and that's kind of true and kind of not true. We are seeing the highest number of refugees that we've ever seen in history. Do you know why? We have the most people we've ever had in human history. This is the largest population of the world. The fact is, there have been immigrants, there have been refugees, there's been border control problems since the book of Genesis. This actually isn't new. This actually isn't like, oh, the United Nations has helped us understand that we have a refugee crisis. No, this has existed since humankind started multiplying. This isn't new. As a matter of fact, the people of God themselves were legal immigrants. When famine struck the land, there was an, a, a, an immigrant who had risen to power named Joseph who made a way for his family to immigrate to Egypt to save their family. They did not want to leave. If, if you, those of you who know the story, who've read the story of the life of Joseph, kind of had to kick and, and drag dad to move to Egypt, right? I don't want to leave. But they came out of desperation. They had no other hope. The problem is someone came into power in Egypt who was threatened by the people that they had allowed in. And they made slaves of them. And God delivered his people after many years and promised them a new land of their own. And what he told them is, when you have a home as my people, don't repeat the cycle. Don't do to anyone else what was done to you. He said this in Exodus 22. You shall not wrong a sojourner, which would be our same idea of an immigrant, or oppress him. For you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. 
You shall not mistreat any widow or fatherless child. If you do mistreat them and they cry out to me, I will surely hear their cry. That's the humility of understanding we are accountable to the sovereign God of the universe. How we treat people inside our borders and outside our borders is something for which we will give account to the God whose image we all bear. And so we approach this topic not to win a debate or to win a fight or, God help us, to win an election. We approach this debate to love people well. We serve a God who's full, if you remember we talked about this a couple weeks ago, who's full of grace and truth. One is not at odds with the other. We believe that God has established a rule of law and he's established government to enforce those laws. We believe it is the government's role to to enforce laws in such a way that keep America free, safe, and prosperous. And the fact is, for us to do that well, we must begin by looking in the mirror. This is a difficult stat, but... Conservatively, there are around 12 million undocumented immigrants in the U.S. today. And I say this is a difficult stat because undocumented, we don't actually know. And so those, uh, some exaggerate this much, much higher for political purposes and some exaggerate this much, much lower for political purposes. It seems like um, that, that 12 million is, is somewhere around accurate. That's on us. Now, around 4 million of what are considered undocumented illegal immigrants today came legally, work visas or education visas. They just decided they didn't want to leave. And we, our system, didn't work to make sure that they did. And so they're here. That's on us. And so responding to this is something that must hold intention, security and sympathy. Must hold intention, truth and love. I believe with all my heart that our country needs to look in the mirror our own welfare system that is broken. That we need to stop spending in such a way that continues to pass debt on from generation to generation. Let's focus on our own security and our own safety in a healthy way before we blame the rest of the world. And one of the reasons that I believe we have let people be here illegally, as I said earlier, is because of our own sinful greed. And because of our own laziness. There's a pastor who is the vice president of the National Hispanic Christian Leadership Conference, Pastor Tony Suarez. And he says this. He says, on our southern border, we have two signs. One says, do not enter. And the other one says, help wanted. We say, don't come in here. And we say, please come do the jobs we don't want to really want to pay people well for or that we're too lazy to do ourselves. That begins at home. That begins with us. That's not a problem outside of our borders. That's a problem inside our borders. 
we approach this issue with truth and love because we understand that we are immigrants too. We all, somewhere along the line, came to this country for the first time. But way more than that, we looked at 1 Peter chapter 2 a couple weeks ago. As the people of God, Peter says, I urge you as sojourners and exiles. Remember, we belong to another kingdom. This is not our primary culture. This is not our primary home. This is not our primary identity. I am not first and foremost an American. I am not first and foremost a Southerner. I am not first and foremost whatever political leaning I seem to align with. And I have a really hard time aligning with anybody. I am first and foremost a Bible-believing, blood-bought child of the living God. That's not just who I am. It's how I see all of life to the best of my growth in Christ. Every day he shows me another area where I'm inconsistent with that. (laughs) That's ultimately who I'm called to be. And again, our, our call to worship this morning talked about that we've received this kingdom. I didn't earn my way into the kingdom of God. I didn't pass a test. I didn't have to memorize anything, any songs or any pledges. I didn't have to take a class. No, my immigration was purchased by the blood of the Son of the living God. And He's welcomed me into His family and into His kingdom. And ultimately, what we desire is from every nation and every tribe and every people and every language that they would know that they are welcomed into the same kingdom, that the blood has been shed on their behalf as well. This is not just my good news. This is news for every nation and every people. A pastor here in the Metroplex, Pastor Todd Wagner, said, if we're more zealous for people being naturalized citizens than supernaturally saved We do not have a sound immigration policy. Ultimately, we are more concerned that the gospel would change lives than we are who wins their political position. And that begins with us. And here's what we believe. I don't believe in a God who's scared about the condition of our borders. I believe in a sovereign God who rules and reigns, who turns the heart of kings in his hands. Our God is sovereign. I love what David Platt said. He said, our God is sovereign, and that's really good news. It's good news to know that Assad in Syria is not sovereign overall. It's good news to know that not a single person in North Korea is sovereign. It's good news to know that ISIS is not sovereign. And it's good news to know that neither Donald Trump nor who wins the next election cycle is sovereign. We serve the sovereign king, not out of fear, not out of cowering, but out of confidence in his rule and his reign. And because that defines us, because that gives us peace, we can walk into delicate conversations Grounded in truth and covered with love. Because we know who our king is. And he does all things well. 
And he is at work in this world. One of the things that I pay close attention to is the, the state of the church in our country. The statistics grieve my heart about historically low church attendance among our culture today. But that's not the only story being told today. Author Sung Chan Ra says this, Contrary to popular opinion, the church is not dying in America. It is alive and well. But it is alive and well among the immigrant and ethnic minority communities, not among the majority white churches in the United States. Listen, God's at work in this country among the most vulnerable, the most marginalized which throughout human history has been where God typically worked the most. That's globally true today, not just true in the U.S. God's at work among the most vulnerable and the most marginalized. The question is, are we getting on board with what God's doing in the world today? Or are we resisting it for prosperity or for safety or for greed or for power? God's called us to engage a world with the hope of the gospel. That hope of the gospel begins with us. Friend, if you don't know for sure you've experienced the welcoming into that kingdom, Jesus calls it being born again. That we enter into a relationship with God because of what Jesus has done that changes everything. If you don't know that that's happened, we would love nothing more than to have a conversation with you about how you can know you belong to a greater kingdom.